happened to the NFL? Welcome to the NFL, rookie. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Rookie Rundown. As always, I am your host, Dallas. You can find me on Twitter at Salad Galore. That is Salad with two L's. And guys, it is Senior Bowl week. It is officially draft season because stuff's starting to hit. And with it being Senior Bowl week, I figured I'd give you all a deep dive into the Senior Bowl itself. We're talking all older prospects, all guys that a lot of people in the fantasy industry don't like to think about because they're not as sexy as the underclassmen that are coming out. But let's not forget that we've gotten the illustrious stars of Aaron Donald, of guys like Josh Allen, of guys like Justin Herbert from the Senior Bowl. So don't knock these prospects. They're serious contenders for your fantasy teams, and I'm going to be doing a deep dive on them, as well as a couple of nuggets from the East-West Shrine game to close out the episode. Uh, They're both back-to-back this week. For those of you that do not know, we have the East-West Shrine Bowl on Thursday afternoon, and then we have the Senior Bowl game itself after all of the fun practices, head-to-head, and highlights that we're going to get all week from these prospects on Saturday midday. So guys, for those of you that don't know, the whole week and whole purpose of the Senior Bowl and East-West Shrine game is to showcase the offensive pieces, the offensive weapons and offensive players that are going to be basically going into the NFL. Although there are some nice defensive surprises that we get to see on a regular basis from these two games that do make an impact at the next level, the way that these games are set up with the rulings, the no blitzing, uh, the prevention of leveraging Um, certain blocking styles, Uh, you basically can't blitz on defense, you're restricted to four-man rushes, it does everything in its power to lean towards the offensive showcasing and to have kind of an exciting game on the offensive side. That doesn't always happen, unfortunately. We're left oftentimes with two sub-20-point scoring teams and a winning victory of something on the lines of 19-14, to which is a pretty average score, to be honest with you, if you're not familiar with the games and watching them. But during the week, you get to see a lot of one-on-one matchups, which are always predicated towards the quarterback showing their accuracy on non-pressure throws, the wide receivers catching basically against air because the DBs aren't supposed to know where they're going, as long as one-on-one drills with the offensive line and defensive line. Um, It's a pretty fun week. I enjoy it quite a bit. Um, The hype train really starts during this week when you start seeing route running. Um, Guys like Tylen Wallace last year were blowing up the Twitter sphere, basically um, showing things basically that no one else was showing. But unfortunately, if you're a bad prospect in general, you're probably still not going to stand out at the NFL level just because of a good couple of days of offensive skewed drills. Um, We didn't see him in the game. He didn't pop up in any year one stats at all. Um, So he's just a a study case. So buyer beware with a lot of the senior bowl picks, but there are standouts at each position each year that are pretty easy to see. And I'm kind of here to walk you through the ones that I think are going to be those players. Um, Another rule that's pretty fun on this one is this the first time we're going to see the wide receivers in the collegiate sphere have to get both feet down. It's the first time where they're introduced to some of the NFL rules, the blocking rules, as I said, but that's the biggest one for me. Um, Some of those wild plays you see in college aren't actual plays in the NFL. Um, So looking at this, it's typically an even distribution of talent across the board for both teams. 
And usually what you see is that the team that wins is the one with the offensive line that's able to get as cohesive as possible in just a couple of days of practice and the most capable of blocking in the run game specifically. The Senior Bowl predicates itself on a lot of run plays, a lot of play-action plays, and a lot of movement by the quarterbacks just due to the fact that they want to see some of the mobility of these guys. They want to see some of these nothing but arm throws, off-platform throws that you don't really get to see in a lot of games with a new system. Normally, when you're looking at the two teams, you think that there's going to be a pretty even talent distribution. And honestly, there is. But this year, it's completely different. In the five or so years that I've been following the Senior Bowl closely, I have never seen such a lopsided offensive skill position loading of a team as I have this year. The national team offense is basically set up to go against the American team defense on paper. If you look at the players, the skills, the national ranks, all the pundits ranks, and a lot of what we know about the Debian fantasy guys that we care about, pretty much all of the offensive ones that we care about are going to be on the national team side, and pretty much any of the defensive players of note are going to be on the American team side. So that kind of gives you a heavyweight clash of two sides, a lot of heavy loaded groups where we get to see some comparisons between guys at the same position. So that is how I structured this all together. Um, If you're thinking that, oh, what do you mean by top loaded? Um, Last week, if you haven't listened to it already, I went through my top tens at every position for me prior to the NFL draft and prior to you know, my reevaluation after said draft. Um, but looking right now out of my ranks, the national team has two of my top three overall quarterbacks in the class, five legitimate running backs with NFL upside, some inside of my top 10, some just outside of my top 10. It has one of my top 10 wide receivers and two that fall just outside of my top 10. And it has four out of my six top tight ends in this 22 NFL draft class. So much talent. And that's just one team that's not including the American offense roster. So I'm pretty excited. But the way I have this structured, guys, is go over the two teams. And I have five national team positional battles that I'm going to be watching this week as well as five American team battles. And then I'm also going to be rolling through a couple of other aspects, such as my win prediction for the game, my MVP prediction, the person with the most to gain this week, the person with the most to lose this week, and then a couple of takes. And then I'm going to wrap up the show overall with the East-West names to watch on both the East Shrine roster and the West Shrine roster. So let's just go ahead and dive in. We'll dive into the heavy ones that are pretty easy to talk about, and that's the national team. So the national team, the first battle I'm going to be watching is Desmond Ritter out of Cincinnati versus Kenny Pickett out of Pitt. They're two of the most polarizing quarterbacks in this NFL 2022 draft class, and they're two quarterbacks that left us feeling kind of unsatisfied after their bowl appearances. We got a very underwhelming offensive performance, specifically from Desmond Ritter, but also from the entire Cincinnati team going up against Alabama in the college playoff. And then Kenny Pickett got injured very early on in his bowl game and kind of just wanted us you know, yearning for more. We wanted to see it. He actually injured himself on a scoring play. Um, So what we're seeing with this matchup is going to be a mobile scrambler quarterbacks on each side with plus arm strength, but they both have accuracy issues. They're 
extremely, extremely good leaders and long-term starters on non-national contenders for both of them. Both of their best seasons came in their senior seasons, with Kenny Pickett breaking a lot of records out there for both Pitt and for quarterbacks in general. And then Desmond Ritter also just putting himself at the top of certain leaderboards from passing statistics, long-term touchdowns, long-term games played. Um, He's number two all-time in games played at the collegiate level. They're both coming in about the same age, and they're coming in with the same faults of accuracy issues. So this game is basically going to come down to who can showcase the accuracy both on the run and inside the pocket, and really who can kind of ease the concern about their way that they can learn a playbook quickly. That is not the system that both of them have been in for their entirety of their careers. For me, my winner in this matchup, I'm sticking with my guns. I'm going with Desmond Ritter, who is my number two quarterback in the class. Kenny Pickett's actually my number three. But it's not just because I think that he's a better prospect. It's the offensive continuity that he's going to have. Although it's a different system that he's going into, being taught by an NFL head coach in this week of games and practices, he's going to have two of his teammates that are also seniors and were also on the star-studded offense for Cincinnati this year right there with him. I'm going to talk about both of them in the next following matchups, and I think that's the edge that gives Ritter the win in this battle with Pickett. Number two at the position battle to watch on the national team is Rashad White out of Arizona State versus Jerome Ford, Mr. Desmond Ritter's teammate, out of Cincinnati. Um, It's one of the most elusive running backs in the class in Rashad White versus a complete burner in Jerome Ford with Excellent, excellent vision. Um, The athletic differences will be on full display, in my opinion, though. Rashad White, although he's extremely elusive and quick twitch, he has a very, very good sidestep, a very good shutter step, very good at moving in between tackles. He lacks a lot of the raw athleticism that you're going to need at the next level. He kind of reminds me of a kind of like a Michael Turner guy with a lot of vision, but not a lot of pop and not a lot of long end speed. Um, I think it is good for a rotational back, but I don't see a lot of promise at the next level just due to the athletic concerns that he has. And then on the other side, you have a guy like Jerome Ford who has very good vision and Jamal Charles-esque athletic traits, but has had struggles at times putting everything together. Um, Part of that is due to Cincinnati's struggling offensive line, as we saw in full display versus Alabama. Um, And part of it is just kind of a lack of usage in some games. He's one of those guys where even though he has extreme athleticism, he does need continued use to expand his role and show off the athleticism. Um, In this matchup, I actually think that Rashad White has the better game due to the limited playbook time to acquire it and his quick reaction time, which is better than that of Jerome forward, um, which is something that, again, comes into play when you realize that they're not used to the blocking scheme, the blockers in front of them, and how they're going to react. So I lean Rashad White, but as you all know, I prefer Jerome Ford as an overall prospect, so I'm very intrigued in this matchup. Going into the third battle matchup for this lovely game, I go to Alec Pierce, also out of Cincinnati, versus Khalil Shakir out of Boise State. So this battle is at the battle of wide receivers, and it's a battle of Mr. Contested Catch for me versus Mr. Catch Me If You Can. So Alec Pierce is a big boy, and he's much more than just a contested catch guy with the tools that he has in his armor. He doesn't have the sharpest routes on the planet, but he is extremely smooth in his his deeper and longer routes, his deep downfield outside routes. Um, He has concerns with his start and stop. That's the main thing that is an issue with him. 
And so that's a little bit concerning, but the way he runs routes kind of reminds me of a guy like T Higgins, a guy like AJ Green, where they're just extremely smooth in their breaks downfield. Um, if it's any type of slightly rounded route or a post, they run it better than most people do. Not to mention his just extreme size at six five. He's right up there with Drake London when it comes to size, and he's very very productive. He's basically the most productive touchdown and red zone threat in this draft class. And then you look on the other side, you have Khalil Shakir out of Cincinnati. Khalil's a big play waiting to happen with surprising ball skills for a guy of average size at the wide wide receiver position. Um, Like I said, Pierce struggles quite a bit with yards after the catch. He reminds me a lot of a guy like Mike Williams or Mike Evans. And then Khalil struggles with press coverage. So he surprises me, um, not surprises me with that aspect, but he reminds me a little bit of a guy like Marquise Brown, but he's quite a bit stronger than Marquise Brown. He just needs to learn how to win out of press coverage a little bit more. And that's something you can teach with technique. That's why I like Khalil Shakir quite a bit and why he actually was ranked inside of my top 10 at the position of wide receiver. They both struggle with run blocking, but for me, I think Pierce is going to win this matchup against Khalil Shakir on display in the game itself rather than the practice reps. And that's due to the overall rapport that he's going to have with Desmond Ritter and the Cincinnati tandem that you're getting with Ritter, with Ford, and with Pierce. So again, my lean is towards Alex Pierce, but I do like Khalil Shakir quite a bit more. I like both of these prospects for different reasons. And yes, they have different play styles and body types. This is my normal comparison that I do, but I think they're the two most important wide receivers to look at on the national team side. Going on to the fourth position matchup on the national team, I'm looking at two of my favorite tight ends in the entire class. That is Trey McBride out of Colorado State and Charlie Kohler out of Iowa State. Um, they are, the, without a doubt, the two most productive tight ends from a passing standpoint in college. They're going head-to-head this year in this Senior Bowl. And you have a move tight end, Burner, in Trey McBride going up in against a basically an all-around phenom at the blocking skills of Charlie, uh, Charlie Kolar. And so I expect us to see the coaches basically put these guys in situations that they do not succeed in. I want to see McBride blocking and I want to see Kohler catching. Kohler can catch and McBride can block, but that's not typically what they're asked to do. Um, The winner of this matchup is going to be predicated on the one that does the job they're asked to do best. And for me, as I've described both in my rankings and in my overall tight end analysis of the class so far, I think Kohler wins. Um, He's going to surprise quite a few people, I think, during this week. And during this game, with his overall profile, like I said, he reminds me quite a bit of a guy like Hunter Henry, just an all-around tight end who can be used in all facets of the game. And unless there's some kind of weird connection that happens with one of the quarterbacks with Trey McBride, which very way uh, very well may happen this week um, because my comp for him is Mark Andrews, who's a phenom at catching the ball. Um, I don't think there's enough time to basically gain a rapport with one of the quarterbacks for Trey McBride to truly shine. But I think Charlie Kolar really can shine in this game. So I'm going to lean Kolar, um, but I do actually like McBride better as a prospect. And then my final matchup 
Um, the national side, as I said, was an offensive powerhouse side, and so I'm going to be all offensive on this side, but don't worry. There's going to be some IDP love coming, guys, so make sure to stick around. Um, my last matchup on the national side is actually going to be Daniel Philele out of Minnesota versus Zion Johnson out of Boston College. And these are not skill positional players. They're not quarterbacks. These are offensive linemen going head-to-head on the same team. They're both going to be on the left side of the field, and you have Daniel Philele out of Minnesota playing the tackle position of left tackle for these gangbuster quarterbacks and these pocket passers that are on the national team. And you have Zion Johnson out of Boston College that will be playing the left guard position for this team. They are monsters on the exterior and interior. They're mountain of men, and they're two of the largest at their given positions. They should work honestly hand-in-hand to stop any four-man rushes, which is what the teams are restricted to, as I said, that we see during the game and during the week. And it's more of an interest for me on how they deal with the four-man stunts inside, specifically on the inside rush with speed as a team against quick edges than it is seeing either one of them give up a sack or anything like that. I want to see how they work together. I want to see how they deal with speed because that's my only concern with these guys being as big as they are. I can't stress enough, Daniel Falele is literally, if his measurables are correct on paper, going to be coming in at six foot nine, 380 pounds at tackle. If he has any type of mobility that he showed on his college tape and we see it on these one-on-one drills without any help, That's something that's going to stand out for me. If we see either one of these guys struggle, that's where I start eyeing it and start getting a little bit concerned if they're drafted highly to my NFL teams or to a team that really needs to tackle and people start valuing the skill positions or running backs or quarterbacks a little bit higher because they think that the left tackle or the guard position is now secured. If I see red flags in this game, that's where I'm a little bit hesitancy comes in and I start to mark that down in my little mental notebook to remember that come draft time, startup season time, trade time, etc. with these players. So I'm excited to see these guys. But honestly, I think Zion Johnson wins with the strength inside and should allow the run game to be absolutely dominant for the national team with the running backs that they have on their side. Um, I think both of these guys realistically will be first round offensive linemen. And I am very excited that we get to see two senior offensive linemen, both from kind of underwhelming schools come in and showcase their skills. Transitioning onto the American team side, I am going to go with the quarterback position to start out. This one is a little bit less sexy for me. If you've listened to my podcast from last week, you know I'm not a huge fan of either one of these guys, but it is a perfect showcase to see which one can show their skills more efficiently. You have Malik Willis out of Liberty versus Bailey Zappi out of Western Kentucky. This is a matchup of the athletic runner in Malik Willis versus the pocket technician in Zappi. Malik needs this game to show his accuracy concerns and his propensity to flee the pocket and show that those can be fixed or at least amended with the correct scheme. Um, On the other hand, you have Zappi. He needs this game to prove he isn't just a system quarterback. He had the same OC, the same offense, the entirety of his time at Western Kentucky, and he's extremely efficient with his play style. He needs to show that he can do that regardless of the system, regardless of the players that he's playing with, and just make sure he can make the plays that he's asked to produce regardless of who's around him and the system that he's in. Neither really has an elite arm, in my opinion, but they are on opposite spectrums of accuracy, which is where their biggest difference comes in for me. And Zappi has a chance to prove that he's not an air raid-only college quarterback, while Willis has a chance to ease the woes, like I said, about that accuracy. 
accuracy with his athleticism and his improv skills. I think Willis wins this showdown with the reeled in, if you will, in air quotes, version of this offense that we're going to see. The game script will most likely just try to protect him as much as possible, show him on those quick rhythm passes when he's in the game to help his draft stock because that's the main goal of this game is to help these players get drafted highly get more money and showcase their skills to the nfl and i'm not a huge zappy guy he he just kind of screams like that uh Washington State quarterback that we had with air raids of back-to-back before Gardner Minshew. Everyone has long hair there. Everyone is extremely accurate. Everyone throws gaudy numbers. Um, I just think he's more of a college quarterback than an NFL quarterback, so I'm going to lean Malik Willis um, as the win on that one. Going to the running back position, you have two of the most polarizing running backs on this American side. You have Brian Robinson Jr. out of Alabama and James Cook out of Georgia, two players that played against each other in the college football playoff championship game just a few weeks ago. And this is a matchup of the true workhorse back versus a third down absolute knife finisher in James Cook. This is honestly just kind of a battle of concepts, preferences, and RB positional takes for the most part, but it's one that I'm going to be watching closely, probably the most closely out of all of these matchups that I have written down, because if there's continued success for one or both of these names, it's going to mean a draft stock rise for both of them or whoever succeeds. If Robinson continues his success behind this makeshift offensive line that we're most likely going to see out of the American side... He solidifies his draft stock. There's nothing any pundit can say against him at this point other than his age, just through the fact that he's producing whenever he's asked to produce. Whenever he sees the ball, he's producing. And if at that point you just don't like him because he's old, it's a mistake that's going to haunt you when it comes draft time. And when you look at James Cook out of Georgia, he needs to show that he can have consistency in pass protection, which is actually one of his faults in his game for me. And... He needs to show that he can run up the gut consistently with multiple carries. If he doesn't get a lot of carries but only gets used in the pass game, I'm concerned that they don't think he can actually run or that they aren't going to basically waste touches on the game with him going up the gut because they think it's a hindrance to showing off his highlights. Um, That's a concern for me, but if he can run up the gut, his draft stock will rise as well. Um, Brian Robinson, in my opinion, wins this because – I just really think he's the real deal. He's a good running back. He's a grinder. He's an every down running back. If given the shot, he reminds me a lot of Damian Harris, same school guy that came out a couple of years ago, exact same draft pro tile. And he is just so good. He's fun to watch. I enjoy watching him as a prospect in general, and I don't have a lot of faults to his game. Um, He has enough speed. He has more than enough physicality. He has the pass catching shots like, uh, most of the dynasty nerds always say um, on one of my podcasts that I listen to, if you guys aren't, it's a pretty good one. Uh, obviously, you probably should be if you're listening to us as well. But uh, dynasty nerds, they always say it's not a how well do you catch. It is a can he catch or can he not catch battle in the NFL. And Brian Robinson can catch if he's asked to. So I think he's going to win that matchup. Going on to the third matchup for the American team, it is Mr. Jalen Tolbert out of South Alabama, not the same school for those of you that know, and Dontario Drummond out of Ole Miss. So this is a battle of two slot, physical, slug it out guys. And it's a battle of who wants it more as a NFL prospect and as a football player in my eyes between these two on the same team. They should realistically line up in the same position in the same 
um, kind of role in this offense. So I don't see them being on the, uh, basically being on the field at the same time very often, but you have Drummond and Tolbert. They're both feisty players when they want to be, but the physicality isn't always on display all the time, which is why I'm concerned with both of them. So when you're watching a guy like Dontario Drummond, uh, he wows you with some of the physical plays, with some of the physicality, the tackle breaking. He reminds you at times of a guy like Debo Samuel, but he seems like he's lackadaisical on plays where he knows he isn't getting the ball. It's the classic um, pass concept goes away from him. He just kind of is half-assing his reps, which is not something that we typically want to see. A guy like Jalen Tolbert, he never really a true, uh, never really truly appears that he wants the ball in contested catches, and he suffers from laziness on his route running area when it's not something that's a quick out or a quick in inside. Um, it's just an out route or a go route is the only time that he looks crisp and good to me, and that's concerning. I need to see more from his route tree when he gets the ball, and I need to see effort on all of his runs for me to feel good about it. I understand he was without a doubt, the best player on that South Alabama team. And he probably mentally was not focused enough a lot of the times, which is something that he can obviously show that he can do at this week in Mobile. But I'm a little bit concerned as a prospect for both of these guys and their ability to actually show that they want it to NFL coaches, coaching staffs, and all the fans that are watching them play. The win for this one is Tolbert for me. I think his size and quick twitch in the middle is going to be on display, but he's a guy, like I said, I would be aware, buyer beware, um, Kawi Emtor, for those of you who want a little Latin lesson, uh, means buyer beware. Uh, he's a small school guy with a lot of hype, and it's going to build quite a bit, most likely, during this offseason by some of the lesser and the no fantasy scouts out there. Um, I'm just letting you know you should probably beware buying Tolbert at an elevated price. It's fine to take a flyer on him in later rounds in your fantasy draft or even as an undrafted free agent after your rookie draft, but I wouldn't be reaching for him in what should be a very loaded wide receiver class. Going on to the fourth and fifth matchups, we are finally at the time where I'm going to talk a little bit of IDP. So if you don't want some IDP love, feel free to skip forward probably about four minutes uh, to the 29 minute mark in order to catch the remainder of the offensive takes in this. But I'm going to go with a linebacker matchup here for the IDP love. And that is Damon Clark out of LSU versus Joju Doman out of Nebraska. These are two athletic run down your player coverage linebackers. They're two of my favorite in the class and they realistically could get most likely back into first or early second draft capital at the linebacker position in a similar vein to guys like Nick Bolton. Um, to quite a few of the linebackers, honestly, that we've seen in the last couple of years. But these are going to be steals in your IDP, I think, most likely, um, depending on where they land, that could be very productive for you going forward. A guy like Damon Clark, his motor on every play is just insane. He's always around the ball, and the stats have showed that. He was neck and neck all season for the tackle leading in the FBS football sphere last year. And he's a physical run stop gap player on stretch plays because of his athleticism. He also excels in coverage due to his physicality. And he's pretty good at um, the actual coverage recognition as a roaming linebacker and outside linebacker. Um, he does not have quite enough athleticism in order to be a true coverage linebacker, but he is very, very good at recognizing and at least tackling after the catch as opposed to those pass breakups. When you look at a guy like JoJo, he might be the most active and athletically confusing pursuit 
linebacker that we'll see in a couple of years. He plays with his hair on fire all the time. Uh, on blitzing packages specifically, the dude looks like TJ Watt sometimes just because of his physical makeup and just how much of a terror he is on the outside, but he lacks that true linebacker size due to his height. He's coming in at just basically 6'1", which can be concerning and may mitigate his overall production at the next level, but he's a hustle player. His athleticism and ferocity at the point of contact is what I love about him. He's going to be a starter somewhere at some point in the first two years due to his coverage ability because he was going up against everyone. You want linebackers to cover running backs? he's going to cover. You want linebackers to cover your tight ends? He's going to cover them. He was on the outside on like 20%. It was just under, I believe, hold on. yeah, just under 20% of his snaps for this terrible Nebraska defense last season. He was covered, covering players on the outside. He was going up against Ohio State wide receivers and shutting them down in the Nebraska game on a very regular basis. And that's something you don't see. Um, the win for me, if you couldn't tell, it's going JoJo Demand. Um, I think he's going to be talked about quite a bit after this game. I'm very excited to see him play and see how he lines up against more excellent competition. But when it comes to roaming coverage linebackers and guys that are not a liability as a run stopper, as a coverage linebacker, JoJo's your man in this class. The second defensive matchup for IDP related content is a cornerback battle for me. And that's Roger McCreary out of Auburn versus Tariq Woolen out of UTSA. Um, this is going to be a matchup of two of the best and probably the least talked about cornerbacks in the draft that are going to be going head to head this week in Mobile. It's realistic in my eyes that a guy like Roger McCreary could be the cornerback one, depending on how his combine metrics go and his performance in Mobile. If, he covers like he has his entire career at Auburn. He's going to go high, guys. His run support and his coverage ability in man and zone are impressive. He's extremely versatile. He has no true holes in his game, and he's athletic enough to get it done at six foot and 190 pounds. Um, his play style doesn't predicate itself on ball production, so don't expect a lot of gaudy pass breakups or a bunch of gaudy. Um, interception totals in his career for your IDP love, but he is extremely sticky. He's a cornerback that doesn't get targeted a lot, and it's for good reason. He, he uh, He's good at what he does, guys. That Auburn defense isn't talked about a lot due to their run defense and incapability to stop the run, um, but McCreary was a real player. And when you look at Woolen, he's on the opposite spectrum. He is one of the most raw cornerbacks, but he is the most physically gifted and dominant cornerback in this class. He's coming in at six foot four inches, 205 pounds, guys. He may be a little bit smaller, like a 6'3", but that's still insanely large. And he's got speed and speed and speed and speed to give you every time. He's a former wide receiver and he's got insane ball skills. His hands are great and he will give you that ball production at the IDP next level but he's raw. He needs to work on his technique quite a bit. In man coverage specifically, he's got pretty good instincts at where the ball's going to go just from his understanding of offensive schemes. But his raw athleticism will be used early. Um, first of all, I would expect him to be a gunner immediately on special teams. And then realistically, he could get some hybrid work as a strong safety and as a nickel corner without a question pretty early on. The matchup for me, though, will go to McCreary. I think he wins with his quick recognition of plays and his base understanding of concepts of the simple offenses 
that you're going to see in this game, as well as his tackle total. He's a tackling machine and extremely physical from the cornerback position. Um, Watching him on tape, he might be my favorite corner in this class, and I'm pretty excited to see where he lands. He'd be a good fit for a team like my Chicago Bears, which would be awesome because I don't think they would have to spend super high up if he does fall, um, if he doesn't test quite as well as people expect him to. Um, I think you could see him in the second round, and that would be a great pick for any team that's looking for just a valuable cornerback two in their scheme. Recreary's their guy. So we are back onto the offensive side, and we are going to go ahead and just rail through some quick some quick picks, some topics of this game, and then we'll get you out of here. A quick hitter, another about 35 to 40 minute episode here, guys. Um, my win prediction for the game, it should be no shock. I'm going with the national team. Their offense is just stocked. Um, I don't think that this game was distributed highly enough. Uh, I'm very much open to being surprised and seeing a lot of these players that I don't have high hopes for or don't actually know a lot about on this American team offense excel and open my eyes and give me some more prospects to look at, but I don't see that happening. I think that the national team's offense is going to overpower this very good defense on the American side, and you're going to see the national team go with a, I'm going to be bold, a 30-plus point performance from an offense, which is impressive for a team that's only been together for four days. My MVP prediction between this with it being a national team victory, is I think it's going to be Alec Pierce. Um, He's not my favorite player in this game. He's not my favorite player in this draft class, and I'm not going to be absolutely blown away if he doesn't win the MVP. But for me, I expect a multi-touchdown performance, and that's pretty much all you need to do in order to win the MVP position. He has the rapport with Desmond Ritter. He's basically the only true outside alpha wide receiver body type, that X body type that we all covet. On the national team, everyone else is kind of a smaller guy, a quick twitch guy. And so I see that multi-touchdown performance elevating a guy like Alec Pierce, most likely between two quarterback passing touchdowns, um, passing him the touchdowns, elevating him to MVP and opening a lot of people's eyes as to what he could be um, with the potential, obviously, of being a, you know, a, a trip. Uh, uh, what is it called? A trap hole. Uh, and a guy like JJ Arcega Whiteside just due to the big body. Um, the player with the most to gain, I didn't actually talk about at all, but it's Mr. Sam Howell of the University of North Carolina. He's on the American side, so he's going to be competing with a guy like Malik Willis, like a guy like Zappy. Um, Sam Howell has been, with all lack of better phrasing, shit on by a lot of the draft capital media, me included. Um, I just. it's probably, I'm going to be honest with you guys, it's probably due more to my Mitchell Trubisky bias than anything. Um, Seeing a North Carolina quarterback still gives me (laughs) night sweats. Uh, But Sam Howell, he struggled. Uh, He struggled without talent around him, and that's something that you don't want to see from your quarterback. I'm not expecting prolific numbers, but he basically just entirely switched up his game to where he was a running quarterback, which is something we didn't see at all prior in his career when he decided that the talent on the outside just couldn't support it. He's got that I'm going to do it all mentality, which is dangerous from a guy who likes to turn the ball over and be risky. Um, The Baker comp is justified because I realistically could see him having the same type of ups and downs and roller coasters that we get from a Baker Mayfield, which isn't sexy or helpful, even in a super flex lead, as we've seen after the last two seasons from a guy like Baker Mayfield. So he's the most to gain because he could impress a lot of people. Um, 
if he doesn't wow anyone, I don't think his draft stock is going to drop any lower than it already has. Um, I just think a lot of people are going to be doubling down on the buyer beware aspect for Sam Howell if he doesn't show out. The player with the most to lose is a actual going to be a uh, defensive player for you IDP out there, and that's Devin Lloyd. He's the linebacker out of Utah. Um, he's pretty much the consensus consensus IDP linebacker one going into this 2022 class for those of you that haven't looked into that aspect of the game yet. Um, but like I said, I didn't talk about him in my linebacker breakdown because I think there's two guys with better coverage ability than him in Jojo and in, uh, why am I blanking? And Damone, uh, he's good and he's all around athletic and he's all around good at stopping the run. But if he's overshadowed by these two other guys with a similar snap count at the end of the game or at the end of the week, we see that he wasn't doing very well in coverage skills and stuff like that. I think you could see a little bit of a tick down and a little bit of a rise up in the ADP of some of these linebackers outside of Devin Lloyd in this class. Uh, for those of you that don't know, the linebacker class is pretty deep, actually, this year. Um, it's very similar to last year outside of the fact that there's no guy at the top. I wouldn't say Devin Lloyd's even sniffing at the same type of level that a guy like Micah Parsons was last year. Um, but he realistically is probably at that same level of a guy like Nick Bolton was last year prior to the draft. My non-chalk take that won't surprise me for this week and for this game is that JoJo Demand wins the MVP. Um, it wouldn't shock me if he has an otherworldly coverage type of day and comes up with a couple of turnovers, comes up with a couple of big hits. He had quite a few forced coverage uh, fumbles as well as interceptions, as well as wild ball skill plays on the outside covering uh, my very own Ohio State wide receivers during their game against Nebraska. Um, I could see him winning the MVP with a strong performance. That's a very, 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 very hot take, like I said a non-chalk take, but it's one that wouldn't surprise me one bit if it happened. And on the other side, the chalk take that will flop in our faces most likely is that the take of James Cook is going to showcase a full-fledged third down skill, uh, three down skill set as the running back and dominate the touches for the American team. I don't see that happening. I see him getting the passing down work and not a lot else, which won't do anything really to change my opinion of him. Um, it'll just kind of concern me that he's incapable of running the ball on a consistent basis and will end up being a satellite and third down back. And that's not super sexy. Um, it's, it, it's just different than what we see with guys that can do a three down set that can actually run the ball and catch the ball. And guys that only catch the ball are a little bit concerning to me because then you have to basically hope that they landed an offense that forces the ball to them or else it won't be on display on a consistent basis a la a guy like Naheem Hines. That is it for the Senior Bowl breakdown. I'm going to quickly do some quick hitters on the East-West Shrine games, just some names to know and names to watch. Um, my plan after this episode and after this week of games is to go over both the games, both the standouts on all four teams for the East-West and for the national versus American teams in the Senior Bowl and East-West Shrine games. So I'm going to do a recap of all these guys. If there's any standouts I didn't talk about or anything that surprised me during each of the games, I'll talk about it next week as well. Um, but to round out, I'll just go with some names I'm looking at the East-West Shrine Bowl. Again, that's on Thursday evening. Uh, the East Shrine team, you have Derek King out of Miami and Charleston Rambo out of Miami. That's a pairing that had a lot of success for the University of Miami. Um, the Canes this last offseason. King has been a guy who really 
hasn't lived up to expectations, but has the physical trait to be enticing as a backup or a potential stopgap, uh, stop kind of like a guy like Huntley was for Baltimore this last year. And it, Charleston Rambo, he was a transfer from Oklahoma, went to Miami, and balled out when he was asked to. Um, he reminds me a lot of a guy like D.D. Westbrook coming out, which should be very exciting to a lot of you. Um, if he falls in the right offense or shows to a lot of teams that he can be used in a versatile way in this East-West Shrine game on top of what he already showed last year. I think it's something that we have to be very excited for. Um, the side note on the East also is Calvin Turner. He is like the most prolific receiving back. He's the definition of a guy I don't really like. Like I described James Cook, potentially like a Naheen Hines, where they're only going to throw him the ball. But the dude had 70-plus receptions as a running back in this Hawaii offense last year, which is just absolutely bonkers. So I'm excited to see what he does and how his running game actually goes. Because I'm going to be honest, I don't watch a lot of Hawaii games, but he's a guy that stuck out if you go stat searching in the database of players. So I'm excited to actually see him on a live stage against some other good players. On the West side, I'm looking at the quarterback Brock Purdy out of Iowa State. He is without a doubt the most influx player, highest roller coaster guy out of both of these games, highest ceiling, lowest floor. He has one of the best highlight reels you'll ever see, but one of the worst completion interception highlight reels that you'll ever see. Uh, on the running back side, the player I'm probably most excited to see out of this entire game of the East-West Shrine Bowl is Keontae Ingram out of USC. He's a transfer out of Texas, never really claimed the role after some of the prospects that they brought into the University of Texas, the Longhorns, horns down. Um, but at USC, he looked good when he got the work, and this is another opportunity to showcase the skills that he has. He's a physical big boy runner with speed, and I'm excited to see how he plays. And then a guy named Emeka Mezzi out of NC State is probably the most slept-on wide receiver in the class. I haven't talked about him yet, but he is good. He's very, very, very good. Um, I'm going to be targeting him in a lot of my drafts. Uh, I'm curious to see where his overall ADP goes once we see some ADP from some longer rookie drafts, just so I can get a good idea of gauging where he's going to go. But he's a name I'm going to tell you to write down now. Uh, it's E-M-E-K-A-E-M-E-Z-I-E at an NC State. Go watch him. Go watch his film on the Nerd Herd if you are a Nerd Herd member. Again, this isn't a Dynasty uh, Nerds podcast or a plug for them. That's just what I use to watch tape. It's a very helpful tool for those of you that are looking to get into rookie content and want to know how to watch tape efficiently, quickly, and cheaply. Um, that would be my recommendation. But he has a lot of fun film out there, and he's just... He doesn't have any holes to his game. He's just a guy that doesn't get a lot of love because he's not the sexiest. He didn't play on a huge team, but I am a big fan of Emeka Amezi. That's it, guys. That was the podcast, In and Out in 40 Minutes, a little bit longer than last week. But I wanted to give you the full scope of what the Senior Bowl is all about, the positional breakdown, what to expect from the players, and then who I think is going to be performing well and poorly in this game. Um, if there's any big things, you can catch me in the Patreon talking about them and on Twitter talking about this week. If you're not part of the Patreon, you should be. The DWZ Network is amazing, family-oriented. A lot of fun and a lot of haggling back and forth about trade offers. So get in there, guys. Um, as always, I'm your host, Dallas. And until next week, this has been the Rookie Rundown. When we add up all those inches, that's going to make the fucking difference between winning and losing. We won a game yesterday, and if 
we win one today, that's two in a row. We win one tomorrow, that's called a winning streak.